Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome, everybody, to my independence report. My name is Kevin McDonald, and you are listening to another podcast. Uh, this is a live version of a, of a podcast, which we are now starting and will be doing three or four days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, and I just want to remind everybody that on March 10th, um, John Edward is going to be here. I don't exactly know what time it's going to be, but, but he's the world famous psychic medium and, um, looking forward to having him on. But right now we've got a wonderful young lady and her name is Brandy M. Miller. And she is an award-winning, uh, author of, uh, of the current book she's got is turning problems into profits as well as seven other wonderful titles that she's been working with. Now, Matt has been over there. By the way, Matt Shea is sitting right here, and he is an author of uh, of note of seven books. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Fantastic. Great to be here, Kevin. Well, good. And uh, our guest for the hour, see, you guys are kindred spirits. I tried to write once, and it didn't go so well, so I, I'll just let you guys play with it and, and see. But, Brandy, um, tell us how you got started writing and, and doing what you're doing now. Well, I, I think I've always been a... I started reading at age four, and I think I was writing by the time I was age six, but I don't think I really made an effort to write a book until I was in my teens. But I didn't get my first book finished, or I, I say finished, it didn't actually have an ending to it. Um, I didn't actually write my first book until 2004 during NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. <clears throat> and oh, I wow. sat down and I calculated okay, they give you 30 days to write 50,000 words, and how many words would I have to write per day in order to hit that target? And I was in college at the time, so I realized it was 1,667 words a day, and I was writing papers that were longer than that every day. So I figured, sure, I can handle that, no problem. So I sat down and plowed through 50,000 words. And didn't have an ending to the book, but I did hit the right target at the November 30th, and I was like, okay. I can do this. So does that mean you were leaving people hanging because there was no ending to the oh, book? No, I mean, that, that is, that is a story that <laughs> we'll never see the light of day. <laughs> it's currently feeding a recycling bin somewhere. <laughs> 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 you know, it was a terrible story, but it, it's not important whether your first story is a good one or not. It's important that you get it done. I just... Because it proves that you can so explain to me, to how do you know if you have the ability to be a writer or not? I've always thought I should be a writer, but I can't do that. I don't know why. Matt, Matt, I guarantee you can. Oh. I guarantee you just haven't found what you need to get over your obstacles. Okay. But we all have stories to tell. Yes, we, we all do. do. Every story starts with a problem and ends with the resolution to finding a solution. Okay, so in the middle of the book, you find a solution, but then you have to fight all the obstacles it takes to implement the solution, and that leads to the resolution, which is where your surprise ending comes from. Oh, wow. 
That's 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 very talented of you <laughs> to think of that all by yourself. I have no, I I, I can't I, see. For me, actually, I, it, it's my spirituality that has led me to a lot of this. I am constantly asking, you know, God. You can call him whatever you want, but um, God for help and insight, and that's where I get the majority of my stuff. And you get that from the insight that you get from the divine or from your mm-hmm. spirit guides or mm-hmm. whatever you choose to call it. So so when you're writing, you're not really, are you consciously writing? Are you familiar with the term? Oh, yeah. Are you familiar with the term automatic writing? I am familiar with the term automatic writing. I don't do that. I do pray before I write. And, and if I'm struggling in an area, I will sit down and pray over it. And then I will spend 10 minutes writing. That's very and whatever comes out, comes out. <clears throat> and generally speaking, what to, what type of subjects do you write on? <laughs> I actually, because part of my business is helping people write their books, so I write nonfiction a lot. But in my spare time, <laughs> I do write fiction also. Oh, very good. What kind Fiction's of? Fiction's my favorite, but it's, it's because, but because it's the more powerful of the two, I'm very selective in what fiction I allow publish i see so what kind of uh fiction do you like to write well i like to write usually uh, most of mine are contemporary kind of literary drama um relationship-based novels that may have action i've got a work in progress called if words could kill and it was based on um the idea of what if we could use advanced 3d printing to bring book characters to life what would they have to say to us as authors? <laughs> this particular book character is none too happy about having been brought to life and decides to seek revenge against the author because the last thing he remembers is being tortured to death. And he's uh, convinced that the author must be a truly evil person to have done that to him. Oh, really? Well, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, so, so you you create. So you have these two dimensional creatures that you wrote, and then you create a three dimensional life for them, kind of thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. If your characters don't breathe in the minds of your readers, why would they read at all? Good point. How do you get them to do that? Talk to them. <laughs> I will literally sit there and interview my my characters. Is now when you get to, now I've been told and Matt you can chime in here whenever you like but I I've been told that when you are the first thing that you do is you write an outline of basically what you want to do and then you have to flush out the characters and you have to create a three dimensional character that's going to be in the book and then then it, once you do all of that it kind of flows and the story creates itself am I close not well not for me <laughs> okay then probably not for most for me i do do a basic outline of where we're going but it starts by with a single um problem that the characters are trying to solve so it's a single problem that the book is designed to address for the reader and then <clears throat> i create that simple outline of the problem the solution the resolution and then the mistake in thought process that is stopping the reader from being able to solve that problem, because that's why we can't solve our own problems. There's a gap in our knowledge or our understanding or something that we're missing in the picture. And so that's the the piece that the reader, AKA the hero of the story has to find is that missing piece 
of understanding. And so once that slides into place, then the truth reveals itself, right? But we don't always like the truth because the truth is sometimes a pretty bitter pill to swallow. That's true. Pill, pill, you know, bills are are bitter too. (laughs) I don't like those either. But anyway, so the uh, truth is usually a pretty bitter pill to swallow. So the reader, the, the character may struggle in the beginning to accept. And then once you've accepted the truth, then the solution sort of becomes obvious, but implementing it isn't. You know, just because you know the answer doesn't mean it's easy to implement. And so then the rest of the story is about their journey to try and implement the solution and make it work. I think I have a headache now. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're trying to make me think too hard. I'm not quite sure. So, so Matt, did you, did you catch, did you understand what she was saying? Oh, absolutely. You, when you write a story, you are trying to get a point point across about a cause, a problem, a solution for something. And so you know where the story is going to end up. Now you have to pick that path to get it there. And systematically, we are our own enemies. And so we learn about ourselves and improve ourselves as people. And that gets us closer to getting the pot of gold, solving the problem. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the end of the story is all about the results, right? It's all about what change came to the character's life because they got that solution in place. Yes, exactly. But we have to change in the process to get there because mm-hmm. it's exactly what you said. We stop ourselves, and that is why we have the problem, and we have to understand that. Once we do and start to be honest with ourselves, the truth can sometimes hurt, but it's the best medicine. That's how we get forward. And then we have a happy ending. We have success at the end, a lesson. Right. And it may not be a perfectly happy ending. I mean, sometimes it is a sad ending, right? It it may mean the end of a relationship or it may mean the end of a a chapter in your life that you have to let go of something that you once held dear. And, And that's not always easy. So not every book does have a happy ending, but it needs to have a meaningful ending. A dynamic ending yes exactly exactly. it has to get you there where you could finish that and start the next chapter of your life exactly it has to get you to the point where you're at least at peace with whatever has to take place so brandy let me ask you where the heck did you come from and how did you find this passion of yours to do this like i said it was all being led um i actually wouldn't have thought of this whole thing and the problems in the profits thing didn't come except that I was serving other writers and I was serving them and seeing where their problems were coming in writing and where their blocks was coming. And I was like, you know, I need to create this universal writing system that will work for any type of book. That's what my goal was. <clears throat> and I came across, and you might look into this if you're trying to write fiction, uh, Randy Ingermanson's Snowflake Method. A friend of mine who was a writer shared that with me. And um, that one made sense. That was the first time I ever found an outlining system that kind of worked for fiction. And he's an engineer, so he builds from small steps forward, right? So the first thing you do is you basically create a single sentence summary of the big book, the idea behind the book. And then from that sentence, you do a five-point out, or his recommendation is a three-point outline, a beginning, a middle, and an end for how you're going to get there. Uh, 
fit all those elements into that story. And then you'll do the characters. And then, so he has you flip flop back and forth between the structure and the character development. So that by the time you're actually writing, your characters have been speaking to you all along. So you're a little better familiar with them and they step into your world. <clears throat> I joke that the best way to understand God is to write fiction. <laughs> oh boy, that's going to get some letters coming. Well, if you understand, you know, you, you step, you create this perfect, beautiful world with a big, wonderful plan for everybody in that world. And then you create these fascinating characters, each with their own personalities and their own distinct needs and wants and desires. And you stick them into this world and you tell them, this is the path I want you to follow. And the first thing they do is whatever you didn't want them to do. <laughs> well, they also, and then you're, they you're also call that having children. The the book. Well, yeah, exactly. And then they, you spend the rest of the book herding cats, trying to get them in the direction you want them to go. And they're never going to go there willingly. Uh, no, most of the time because, you know, they've got their own thoughts and ideas. But what I've learned is that if you force them down the path that you had chosen for them, they'll stop talking to you. Your book will end up getting writer's block and you will never get it finished. So it's better to just listen to your characters and let them do their thing. If it surprises you, it'll surprise your reader. I greatly appreciate how you bring in how important the characters are because you create them, but they set the stage to sort of create you as a writer. Now, a friend of mine who does very well in writing, this is unbelievable what he does. He gets different types of tape color, like ticker tape, and mm -hmm. he will have each color represent a specific character in his book, and then he will put it on the wall of his home and then he has different colors that represent food groups, interests. And so he will start making a collage of these colors, kind of like a totem pole. By looking at one, those who could read one know the story. Well, all of a sudden, he has a collage, this wall, which various characters and their traits, by looking at them, he now knows what they would do in a given situation. It's like building and programming mm -hmm. your own computer. And when he walks to that front door, he looks at that wall, and it talks to him how to guide his book. He does such yeah. a thing, and he bats a thousand with it. Yeah. Well, if you understand what your character's underlying motivation is for their action, what are they really trying to achieve? Then it becomes very easy to guess what they would do in any given situation. Correct. Because you know what they're trying to accomplish. They may have a goal. But their motivation for that goal is what will determine their true, true decision in any situation. Yes, and often my characters are actually an honor inspired by someone who I actually know. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's dwelling on their great qualities or it's dwelling on qualities that I know they have, but they have to develop them. And so I will look at that character, how I know this person in real life, and again, it comes back to me how to walk through forming the story, how to solve right. our problem. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I have one book that I've written, a uh, 22-year-old who's got relationship issues with her ex-boyfriend. You know, and, and in writing the ex-boyfriend, you know, he's, pretty, he's a pretty destructive character. But if you understand his underlying motive, everything he does makes, makes sense. <clears throat> 
all of it is because he's afraid that she's going to hurt him, but at the same time, he wants her in his life. So he keeps pushing her away and pulling her close at the same time, which, of course, is very confusing for the other part. That's that's <laughs> kind of what, what relate how that's kind of how relationships work these days, isn't it? Everybody. Well, it's what happens in a dysfunctional relationship. Yes, it's it's two insane people get together and <laughs> make more insanity. <laughs> <laughs> that's half the fun, though, isn't it? Oh, no, I've been part of the dysfunctional family uh, and the dysfunctional relationship. And that's not the fun part of the relationship. That's, yeah, that's the part true. where it's very stressful for everybody. Two wrongs making a right. It's like two broken people get together and they don't usually make a whole thing. They usually just make each other more broken. So now are you uh, um, uh, kind of a relationship? Or because you're a writer, do you work on relationships as well? I haven't done that formally. I do help it people, you know, occasionally that I meet, I will help them with their relationships, but I'm not, it's not something I've done. Well, that's just, per se. well, okay. I wanted to ask you because, because you were talking about, uh, um, uh, relationships in, within the confines of a book and what he thinks. Why is it? Do you think, okay, I'm going to paint a, a, a character sure. for you. And this character is a young lady, and she is uh, goes through her teens and 20s, and she dates all kinds of guys, but they're the same guy in a different suit. How, and how do you resolve that for that in, within the character of the book to, so that she doesn't do that anymore? What is she doing wrong? What she's doing wrong is she's um, trying to solve a problem from her past that didn't get resolved. The guys are just a tool she's using. Usually it's a father issue, like a father abandonment issue or, or something like that, where she's trying to fix the father that was broken with the man that she's currently with. And he's the same guy as her dad who's uh -huh. broken as well. Exactly. Right. And so she's not getting anywhere because she doesn't realize you can't fix somebody else. The only person you can fix is you. Ooh. A lot of women get into relationships thinking, I can fix that guy. <laughs> and as I tell people all the time, if you're stepping into a relationship with the thought, I can fix that guy, that is not a relationship. That is a project. <laughs> it's it's kind of like you're building a, uh, a coffee table in, in a garage somewhere. Right. It's like buying a fix and flip home. Okay. <laughs> you bought a fixer and flipper. <laughs> You're, you're not gonna. But it never it never works. The results you want. No, it doesn't. You end up dissatisfied with it because you you don't have the tools necessary. See, and I knew that you were a counselor inside. <laughs> My mom tells me so all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, my that... friends tell me I'm. You're not my counselor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, but you see that that's the thing is that, is that people really um, it's hard for us to step outside of our own skin to to look at it from somebody else's perspective to see what's actually going on with us. It really is hard to do. I had a counselor. One of the things that I found is that I don't step outside my own skin to help me understand what other people are going through. I just look at my own past behavior and say, okay, when have I done something similar to that? And what was my motivation? What was I really trying to accomplish with the behavior I was demonstrating? Oh, very and good. You learn a world of wisdom out of that. Yeah, a counselor once explained to me that a man marries a woman hoping that she never changes, 
and the woman married the guy to change him. Yeah, it's, it's, it's usually the case, in, especially in an unhealthy relationship. Which, by the way, most of us, you know, <laughs> most of us do end up really, ha- I, I've, I'm a little older than, than you are, I suspect. And um, in my lifetime, um, there were, oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen people, a dozen couples who got married out of high school and they loved each other and all that kind of, only two of my entire high school are still together 40 years later. Everybody else. I married is, my high school sweetheart. Actually, we met in junior high. I married him at two weeks before, uh, on my 19th birthday. I had my kid two weeks before my 20th birthday. We're still together 25 years later. Good for you. Congratulations. Did, didn't, now, uh, it has not been without pain. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's a price to be paid. Um, it's been a, we were two broken people, but think to um, divine intervention. We've done everything humanly possible to destroy a relationship. And the divine has done everything in its power to keep us together. <laughs> oh, very nice. And it has, um, it, it is largely trying to understand our relationship and trying to figure out how to keep the relationship together and keep it moving in a healthier direction that has taught me so much of what I know. Has, now, have you written a book about relationships yet? Not yet. It's that coming. Is on my list of things to do. <laughs> it's a coming. I can tell you that right now, because because you're you're right on with what uh, I, what you're talking about is. Uh, but let's let's focus a little bit on. Um, I'm curious. Turning problems into profits. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, every problem that you've ever solved in your past is something that is valuable to somebody right now. The person who has that problem doesn't know how to solve it. That's, in, that's interesting. So, so if you have a problem, so can you give me an example of that? Well, sure. Writing a book. Perfect <laughs> example. It's what I built my business on, right? Yeah. There are plenty of people out there who want to write a book, but they don't know how. Because I managed to figure out how to solve that problem, I now make money helping other people write their books. Oh, very cool. So how, so there are authors and there are people that are want to be authors and, and there are authors that self publish and they don't sell any books. How do you break through all of that so that you can write a book that is going to be something that people are going to want to buy? Understand why people buy books in the first place. There's a good idea. Understand your audience. They buy to get results. They want something. Uh, If they're buying a romance, they want to feel romance in their lives. There's a void in their life that they're trying to fill. If they're buying an action book, it's because they're missing out on an action adventure in their life, and they want something that fills that gap. Isn't that interesting? Know what they want. Know what problem it is that they're trying to solve and help them solve it show them in your book the steps they need to take to not just solve it in the moment but to solve it on a longer term and you will develop lifelong fans that absolutely live and breathe your work that's like uh, a, a good man just passed uh clive Cussler. did he passed like yesterday or the day before a couple days ago yes 
And he he wrote he he was my wife's favorite author because she basically had no life, and so <laughs> <laughs> so and and her books were full of adventure and and uh, Dirk was was a secret agent and he worked for FEMA and he had a short little mm-hmm. Italian friend and they went around the world solving problems and everything and see, it was great fun for her because like I said she had no life, right life. exactly, but. The author actually didn't do her the great service he could have done her. He fulfilled her temporary need. He did a good job with that, which is why she kept buying the books. But he wasn't teaching her how to get a life of her own. That's true. Because in in that world, she couldn't do any of those things. Uh, so it was... She, she might was, not be able to do those things, but there are steps you can take to show somebody how to do things in their own world. Like, help them translate. You know, to, uh, this is one of the things that, that you use as a writer is metaphor, right? So if you're writing about a situation in your own life where you had this debilitating depression, say, for instance, right? Well, in your book, that depression might be a giant that's stomping on you. And you don't know how to get out from underneath the giant. Right? Oh. In the book. Oh, isn't that cool? Okay. Okay. So by showing them how to how to overcome the, the giant, you're actually showing them how to overcome that obstacle that's in their path and how to how to change their thought process. Maybe they learn that the giant's only stomping on them because the giant doesn't even realize they're there. You know, so how do we get the giant's attention? Or we realize that maybe the giant's stomping on me to get my attention. <laughs> you know, it's it's all about the process, right? Uh, another thing, you know, maybe you've got a bully in the playground and the bully's a dragon. So how do you get past the dragon? Right, And then you realize the dragon's more afraid of you than you are of it. Bop it on the nose and you bypass it. <laughs> that's that's cool you know and that was one one of the because when i was a little kid i was bullied uh when i was in elementary school and so every movie that i've the, the, most of the movies that i really really enjoy involve uh, some kid who rises above being bullied to beat up the bullier or to have okay. somebody beat up the bullier and and it was that that type of story made me feel good because I didn't do it but I was I was glad that they did it for me. Well, at 7 years old I realized the truth about bullies. They really are more afraid of you than you are of them. I my stepfather was the bully in my life. He was abusive. And then one day my mom took me home from school and she told me that if, you know, anybody was doing anything to me, they shouldn't be that I could tell her. So I did. And nothing came of it, or at least I thought nothing came of it. And three weeks later, he corners me in the living room and I'm absolutely convinced that I'm about to get a beating of my life. But that's not what happened. He told me if I ever talked again that he would, my mom would call the police and he would go to jail and we would be homeless and we would be starving to death and and have nothing to eat because he was the only one working and we couldn't make it without him. None of that was true though, right? No, actually it would have been true. My mom wasn't working. He was the sole provider. We would have lost our home, but that didn't matter. Actually, if anything, that was the clue. The first clue that I had that there was a way for me to stop him was that if I would keep talking, the very thing he didn't want me to do, I could make him stop hurting us. 
Were you able to do that? Yeah, it took me two and a half years, but yeah. I eventually sent him to jail. Well, good for you. I. But this is the thing. I, I've had bullies in my life. My stepfather, my mother, even my grandfather. And every single one of them, if you stand up to them, they back down. They can't stand it. Isn't that interesting? Matt, something? Yeah, I was a teamster. I put in 32 years in the factory world, and we had two types of bullies. We had the ones that were afraid and the ones who were not. You have the ones who were trying to be as destructive as possible because they don't like where they are and they want to move on, and so they want to be exited by default, uh, if you understand what I mean by that. Wanted to be exited by default. I don't understand what you said. Because geographically, they did not like where they were, and so eventually they'd be shunned from that area because of being a pariah, sort of say. Some are afraid and some are not. And I met guys who were former prize fighters. They weren't afraid. That was their game. They wanted that. And the ones that lost love it because then they challenged themselves to eventually defeat the victor. After the fourth or fifth time they challenged, maybe they'd win that. So it's kind of a two-sided thing. Um, I will use a rattlesnake as an example. It gets your attention so you know to get away from it. That's a sense of fair play. These situations where you can get away from it do. Where you can't, you got to pull in the cavalry. you got to bring in your parents, the teachers. you got to take that because you're still tossing a coin and you do not know what this assailant, if they're going to up the ante. We don't know what's going to happen. That's true, and bullies often travel in packs. That's correct. They usually gather people around them because they are weak. Oh, it is a weakness. It is. The but only they... people who ever pick on somebody weaker than them are people who are scared on the inside. They may yes. not say they're scared. They may not act scared, but they are scared. Yes, they are, but they also give themselves a stacked deck, sort of say, walking into a situation. Right. No, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with that at all. They're smart enough to know. Usually they've been, they've been abused themselves. That's where it so comes from. They're usually repeating behavior that they've witnessed or been part of. They're, they're giving you what they've learned. <laughs> now, Manipulators have been manipulated. Liars have been lied to. <laughs> and the worst of human behavior is duplicated from, from the environment around people. And is that because they really are afraid and so they're acting out out of fear? Yeah, a lot of it is. Uh, here's here's the thing that most people don't get is that uh, the greatest fear that most people have isn't like fear of anything other than being hurt. They're, they're terrified of being hurt by other people. That's that's so true. You know, the, the, this conversation <laughs> started out someplace and it's ending up completely someplace else, which I think is really cool uh, because you are very, by the way, we're talking with Brandy M. Miller. She is an award-winning author and a international speaker. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You just came back from London. from London. Yeah, London. I've spoken in London and Denver and Dallas and I'll be speaking in Las Vegas next month and dc at the end of this month now how did you get the speaking gigs very carefully uh knowing people <laughs> oh, <laughs> just relationships that's very good actually. 
By the way, if you'd yeah. if you'd like to, to the people that are listening, if you'd like to give us a call, you can do that and talk oh, to and 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 talk to Brandy. She is a wealth of information. As when you are an author, an award winning author, you you gather information. That's kind of what you're in the business of doing, right? I talk to so many people from so many different walks of life. I've talked to people who are, you know, well below the poverty line. And I talk to people who are making multiple millions of dollars. In fact, I've ghostwritten for several of the people who make multiple millions of dollars. So in the process of interviewing them, you discover that, you know, really on, on the outside, we may look different. The bank accounts may look different, but the inward battles are all the same. So like, uh, can you, um, um, drop any names of multiple no no those client confidentiality type thing oh um, you got an nda on you oh that's terrible always always that's part of the task of being the ghost writer is you're the ghost ghost in the machine so to speak that's why they call you a ghost because you don't really <laughs> exist right well no because you're not seen not that you don't exist yeah, but you're not seen. You're not. You exactly. You're not seen. So, but I'm perfectly fine with that because, you know, Harry S. Truman said it best. He said, you know, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Okay, we can give that. We we go through statistics. It's it's proven. Most readers, most leaders in you know executive positions and politics and all that, they read at least a book a month. Most of some of them read a book a week. Some of them go as much as a book a day. Warren Buffett one of the richest men in the world spends 80% of his day reading and then 20% acting on what he reads. But if you break down what that really means, that means that those who are writing books are leading the leaders. And those who are teaching the writers or guiding them to writing are the ones who are leading those leaders. Well, and it's okay to be the ghost behind the machine. Exactly. And by the way, the exception does prove the rule because I know one leader Pardon me? What the? Oh, I'm, uh, that... I, I think that was my phone buzzing. <laughs> okay. I, wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't me. I, but I was, I was just going to say that that exception proves the rule because I do know that there is one leader who doesn't read very much, but I'm not going to go there. So in, in, in any event, uh, Matt, did you have a question? Well, I just marvel at all the things listed under your name, Brandy. And something that jumps out is the Mind Her Business show. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that? I'm curious. Uh, the Mind Her Business Show was a friend of mine. She was starting that, and um, I had been on there for a little bit, helping women in business get their mindset right. Because most of the problems in business are really mindset problems. They're not money problems. A show that I enjoy watching, and immediately when I discovered who you are, I thought about The Prophet with Marcus is it Lamonis, if I pronounce that right? But the show, The Prophet, because he will resurrect what was once a good idea to prove that it really is. There's a better way to go about it. And that's how I'm understanding you. You make gold out of it. You will turn that problem into a profit. Yeah, absolutely. Most people are so busy staring at the problem that they don't even think about anything else. And once they've solved the problem, here's the other thing. Most of us, what we do is once we've solved the problem, we tuck it in the back of our mind because it's no longer a problem for us. So we take it for granted and we don't even think about it anymore. They forget that it applies. Uh huh. We we don't realize there are a lot of people out there who may even literally 
be dying for that solution. And is it because we come by it naturally and we come by it easily? We don't think right. it has once, the same once value. We make it, exactly. Once it becomes easy to us, we don't value it anymore. Because because it's easy. Right. I, you know, an interesting story about that. Um, there, Long ago, I was in a network marketing program. And they were working to teach us how to go and be a positive, a, a real good network marketer or a multi-level marketing person, which takes right. a particular skill set, if you know what I mean. Yes, it does. And uh, there was there was six of us in a group, and this highly successful guy would get on the phone every day, and he would give us marching orders on what we were going to do. And then we would get together, the six of us, and we would say, man... This is hard. I can't believe how hard this is. You can't do this. This is crazy. This is just nuts. Two of us quit. Two of them quit. And the four of us that were left were like, oh, man, this is just really hard. And then one day, one of the gals did a switch in her mind. She said, no, this isn't hard. This is easy. This is easy, and I can do it perfectly, and it's easy. And nobody's, it's very easy. She, the, the three of us have since dropped out. She's now a multimillionaire. Yeah. Well, once you get it figured out, it's like anything. You didn't start out knowing how to walk. You know, as a toddler, we forget how many thousands of times a toddler falls before they figure out how to walk. Yep. And then we, it's partly, once we start transitioning to going to school, our parents go from encouraging us to try new things and do new things to asking us why we failed. You know, we're demanded to account for every failure. And I think that is where we start to develop this fear of failure. We think there's something wrong if we failed. Uh, there's only something wrong if you don't get back up and try again. That's true because everybody fails. Right. Everybody fails. You know, either your muscles aren't strong enough at the moment, whether spiritually or mentally or emotionally or whatever, you know, maybe even literally physically, your muscles maybe won't be strong enough to carry you in that moment. But by trying repeatedly, you develop that. And great teachers have a way of getting that through to you without uh, knocking you down a peg and making you feel uh, less than you are. Uh, I had a, I had a, a, a little league baseball coach, and uh, he was uh, hitting grounders to everybody. And this one kid kept missing the grounder, and so the coach was kept reminding him and yelling at him how to do it right. And the kid got reeled down in the in the dumps mm -hmm. about it. And uh, the coach said, "Look, when I stop talking to you and stop trying to help you, that's when you need to worry." Because what I'm doing is I'm coaching you and I'm teaching you how to do it. And, and eventually you will be successful. You're failing mm -hmm. now, but with my help, you'll be successful. When I decide that you're not worth helping and you don't listen to me anymore, that's when you're not going to make it. And that's when you're yeah, going to fail. exactly. I mean, that, that's, that's life. You know, failure humbles you. Failure should cause you to say, okay, well, this didn't work. What did I do? that I could do differently next time. That's all. That's it's just right. an opportunity to learn. But we turn it into this mega event when kids get to be school age that warrants report cards and, and red flags and interventions and crisis mode. And it's, it's why? It, what is the point of that? Instead of saying, okay, well, this is, you know, the test is so the student knows where they're at. 
That's the point of giving tests. It's not supposed to be so that we can earmark them as smart or, or dumb or whatever. But it's just supposed to be a helping them figure out this is how much you know and this is what you still have to learn. And then we need to help them learn what where their gaps are. But instead we make it this big song and dance routine where it, it's, it's their whole life is hinging on the outcome of a test. I'm like, that's just ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Imagine what? if the adult world. Now, how do we, how do we, you know, <laughs> the, by the way, we're talking with Brandy M. Miller. She is my personal psychiatrist. Um, <laughs> She's she's helping me solve I'm a all. Therapist. Yeah, she's she's my therapist. She's no, she's actually an author and a uh, um, international speaker, and she's award winning author. And her current book is Turning Problems into Profits. And I highly, I assume you can get that at Amazon and all the major. Oh outlets. yeah, you can Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the yada yada yada. So I have a question for you, doctor. No, you're not a doctor. Don't anybody write me that she's <laughs> no. a doctor. She's not a doctor. But I, the question I have for you is this. My son, uh, both of them actually, grew up in a time when uh, in the sporting world, everybody got trophies for participation. They were called trophy, ah, participation yes. trophies. Participation trophies. Rather than, you know, so first place became irrelevant. Doing mm-hmm. best, the best on the team became, they didn't have MVP awards anymore. They didn't mm-hmm. have Mr. Hustle awards anymore. They had participation right, because they awards. they didn't want people to feel bad about not showing up and not doing their best. Exactly. How, <laughs> I assume that you don't buy that, that theory. No, no, I'm not a big fan of that because actually what it really does is it tell, tells kids that they can't do better. It's actually, rather than supporting them and growing their self-esteem, because self-esteem partly comes through achievement. Yes. When you have struggled and fought and won something that was meaningful, that's what builds your self-esteem. That's what makes you special is when you recognize. And isn't isn't it like building a muscle? Yeah, it is. It's a lot like building muscle. I mean, imagine if you could just, you know, not have to work at all and suddenly you could have muscles would you take them for granted or would you appreciate them i you would take them for granted right you would you wouldn't you wouldn't care you'd be like oh i could just get on the machine and the machine will give me a muscle tomorrow and it's no big deal exactly (laughs) but when you spent months busting your butt to get those muscles you're going to do what you have to do to maintain those muscles that's it that's it. And it's so awesome that, that you are uh, doing what you're doing because you're helping a lot of people uh, understand how to get through their problems and come out the other side, aren't you? Yeah, well, that's my goal. I really, especially right now in, in the world today, I think that there are so many kids who are in their 20s who are looking at life and they're saying, this is hopeless. I can't get out of this situation. You know, I'm, I'm mired in this debt. I, I don't have anything to work with. Nobody's going to give me a chance. I don't know what to do. I, I don't, you know. And so I want them to know that they're not hopeless. It's not helpless. They can do something. Yeah, it's gonna, they're going to have to work. They're going to have to work for it. And, uh, and I'm straightforward in the introduction. I tell people flat out, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. You're not going to get rich quick. 
you're going to have to overcome a lot of mental hurdles before you ever manage to get to the point where you're starting to succeed on a regular basis. Now, do you talk to women's groups a lot? I talk to a lot of people a lot. <laughs> <laughs> because because tomorrow on the show, we have got a young lady, and, and we're calling it Wednesday Girl Power. Uh, she, she's got a company that, that uh, works and who a clothing line for young uh, girls for leotards and that sort of thing. She's also uh, an extraordinary uh, um, um, advocate for women. And so uh, awesome. I just had to throw that in there because you sound like I'm going to, I would like to have you back on one of those girl power shows. Cause I think, Oh, I'd love to. I think that yeah, you can be very absolutely. helpful because, because women and girls, they're brought up in a certain way and they need to, ch we need to change that paradigm for them so that they feel more empowered that they can do anything that they need, that they choose. Well, the funny thing is, is that women don't actually really need to be empowered, in my opinion. What they need to do is realize how much power they already have. Ah, good women point. actually control the destiny of every society. We influence the children that are raised from the moment of their conception all the way through their natural death, even if we aren't involved in their raising past the nine-month mark when we give birth to them. And that, what we do in those first nine months continues to impact that child throughout the rest of their life. That's true. That's true. And so if a society is weak, it is because the women are not claiming their power. They're not stepping into their power the way they really need to. And... At the same time, sometimes they're abusing their power. Yes, they can also abuse their power. And it's usually when a woman abuses her power, it's usually because she doesn't even realize she has it. Oh. At least not in the right sense of it. Right? She feels, it's the same thing with a bully. A bully doesn't really see themselves as powerful. A bully always sees themselves as a victim. That's why pointing to them and telling them you're a bully doesn't really help because they can't see it. They yeah. see themselves as a misunderstood victim. And so they're just being a miserable blot on society by passing on their misery to everybody else around them. Which really sucks. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, really just sucks. wanted you to know that, that, re that really sucks. Cause, cause well, it's, it's not an intentional thing on their part. They just don't know how else to be. That's then. And how do you convince them not to be that? anymore you don't you show them how not to be that uh-huh that, that are you not being that oh that makes a world of sense that makes a world of sense so you so, don't work on changing other people working on changing other people will only make both of you miserable you know we talked about that in the last show i think that the, the changing mm -hmm. changing people they people need to want to be able to change themselves well, and nobody wants to change until you show them the benefits of change. So if you're not changing, what would they be there to see? That's exactly true. Matthew? I, something that's jumping out right now, Brandy, is seven steps to change your life and the world. Mm-hmm. Sure. it starts with your life. Yes. Right? You, you can't change the world until you change your life. Because... The way you change the world is by beginning to serve the world. But if you're still focused on all your own crapola and you're still blaming everybody else for what's going on in your life, 
you're not going to serve. You're not going to step up. You're not going to do what you need to do, and the world won't change. Does that have to do with the stories that you've been telling yourself and other people have been telling you your whole life? <laughs> well, stories are what we get told all. And we actually write our own stories. Um, we write stories about every event that happens to us. That's true. But it's based you know, upon. They're short stories. Yeah. Like when you're four, the story may be, I am not lovable. Very short story. Really quick. Really easy to read. But very powerful and very deadly. I, I, I actually have a story about that. When I was when I was six, me and a mm-hmm. friend went to another kid's house, and um, and we were playing along and stuff. And my friend had to go home. Well, I didn't have to go home, and so we were. So my friend left, and so it was me and this other kid who also was six years old or seven years old, right about then. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, um, and I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, get lost. I said. You want to go get lost? We can go get. And he said, "No, you get lost." That affected me for like ever because, and 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 then when I when I grew up, it, it dawned on me that it was like I put so much stock in what a six year old told me fifteen years ago. What a waste of time I spent. Yeah, but it's how we work. I mean, that's that is how we we operate. We will allow those past stories to sit in the back of our minds, dictating things because we're not even aware that they're part of our programming. No, I mean, we basically are um, these giant supercomputers and we, like any computer, we have an operating system and our operating systems are made out of our beliefs. And those beliefs begin to be formed from the moment of our conception all the way through around age 22. And then we start to test those beliefs to see which ones still work and which ones don't from 22 to about 26. And then at age 26, which is usually when they stop being a jerk to the world, if we're lucky, um, (laughs) around age 26, when those beliefs are solidified, we no longer question anything we believe unless there is a dramatic change in circumstance. Like it has to be a pattern of events that occur that cause us to shake out of our belief system. And that could be for good or for bad. Matthew? For good or for bad, exactly. When you talk about being young, impressionable, and you forget to consider the source and something registers and it scars you for life, years and years ago in grade school, we knew this guy who was going to start his own business one day because his grandfather told him he would, and he even told him the name of the business, which escapes me. This poor person approaching high school after high school at last I heard well into his 40s again a new business idea the same name granddad gave him many years ago granddad's been gone for years that never left him yeah absolutely those stories don't leave us unless we go back into them and then we can pull out our giant red editing pen and we can change the story because you can, isn't it the most empowering thing in the world that you can change your story at any given moment? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is empowering. Most people don't realize they have that power, but it really does exist. I mean, I had a story that I am not lovable because, you know, when I was four, my parents had gotten divorced when I was three years and 10 months old. And my dad was the center of my universe at that age. 
uh, he was the parent that doted on me even more than my mom did. I was his first baby girl, and he just lavished me with love. And then suddenly they divorced, and you know, so it was that was that was traumatic. But the memory that stuck with me was the last day I ever saw him as a child, and you know, he was leaving me. And that day I wrote a story in my mind that said, I am not lovable because if the man who loved me more than told me that he loved me more than anything else in the world could just walk away and leave without looking back, how lovable could I honestly be? It was a logical conclusion given all the information that a four-year-old had. It just wasn't the right conclusion. That's exactly what my ex-wife went through. At age four, she was abandoned, and then when we went through marital counseling, they said I was the father figure who abandoned her, that she wanted my Mm -hmm. approval, and then she would rebel, and then she would leave, and then she kept saying, you're going away, and I didn't know what she was talking about. It was exactly what happened to you. That was my first marriage. Right. Well, in in that that case, uh, what she's doing is, uh, and I did this to my husband, he was more patient than anybody has a right to be, but I would deliberately do things to hurt him because it was like, how bad do I have to be before you do what everybody else did to me? Yikes. That's exactly what it is. And that's why the bullies are doing what they're doing. They keep doling it out till they get to to justice. Right. How bad do I have to be before you, you don't love me anymore before you leave me too. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's, that's that's classic that that really is classic it's you know by the way we're talking with brandy m miller by the way what's your website young lady the opportunity prospector.com it's you are just enchanting i have to tell you well thank you and maybe you know maybe that's why you're an award-winning author and an international speaker because you're that that engaging Thank you. I like, to, I like to think that I'm at least mildly amusing occasionally. <laughs> uh, I am too, but then, but then, never mind. I was gonna make it. Well, you know, I, I think I was destined to be a writer because I was I was born with the initials BS. You know, when you're born with the initials BS, there's really only three paths open to you in life. You can be a con artist, and I didn't want to spend my life in prison. You can be a politician, which is just a legal con artist. Yeah. Or you can be a writer so that at least when I tell you lies, it's printed clearly on the front cover. You know you're being lied. <laughs> well, and, and did, when you were growing up, did you have an incredible imagination? Oh, yeah. So, Always. So were you a fairy princess and you had the fairy prince and all oh, that? I was, I was a princess, but I was also a tomboy, so I would dress in the dress and then climb the tree so I could get to the top of my tower on my own. <laughs> so, so you were Robin Hood, kind of. My mom made me wear shorts underneath my dress so be showing up Mondays to the whole world. But, you know, I was catching frogs with the best of them, jumping my bike across the, you know, basement that was being dug out and all kinds of craziness. Oh, that, that is But I was looking doing it. <laughs> you look good. You look good. 
So it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's great fun talking to somebody like you. Let, I, let's focus on your book again, turning problems into profits. Cause that, okay. that sounds like that, that could be a book for most everybody. Um, it's designed for really for people who have wanted to start a business and they just didn't know where to start. Okay, so let's let's play with this for just a second, if we can. I am starting a business. The okay. bus- the business is um, a a radio production company and a podcast. Um, Good job. Well, thank you very much. And not that I know any about thing about these. So, how do you recommend I turn my passion uh, for uh, and my problems of? how to create a, a wonderful show and and lots of people listening and all that kind of stuff. How do I create that and turn it into profits? Well, the first place you begin is decide what problem it is your podcast is ultimately solving for the people who are listening. Do I have to do that, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, because that's the first step. I mean, what are you trying to do for the reader? Because really all sales begins with service. Yes. If your attitude is anything other than I want to serve this person, you're going to chase people off. It took me a long time to figure this out. So we pass on this bit of wisdom. Nobody wants to be used. Ooh, ain't that the So truth. if you step up to people and you've got money in your eyes and you're, you're hungry for money, but you're not really seeing the other person as anything other than a stepping stone toward getting what you want, you're going to chase them off. Oh, because that's true. Because they'll sense that. It's true in dating. It's true in business. It's true in everything. You know, it doesn't matter what you're peddling. <clears throat> I mean, even if you're selling God, you need to make sure that, that you're not trying to use the other person to affirm yourself. Well, <laughs> oh, you went there, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> well, God's the hardest product in the world to sell. So, you know, it, it's a it's a really good method of teaching people to think about how to pitch a product Very because good. if you can tell god you can sell anything ain't that the truth um and because yeah, he's invisible right so you know you're trying to sell an invisible product with shaky reviews uh no guaranteed results <laughs> i mean the list of problems with this product is long it is it is and so, and so you you want to so if you approach everything from a standpoint of service Mm-hmm. I'm going to service the heck out of you. I'm going to do great things for you. I'm going to provide you with a program that you're going to enjoy because it's fun and uh, entertaining, educational, and a little bit of spiritual too. Um, and you're going to do all that from the standpoint of service, and I don't care whether you pay me or not. Is that the way to go? You know, in a sense, kind of, yeah. Because if you're out there helping other people build their dreams, your dream will come along. You're right. We, we focus a whole lot on money in our society, and we forget that there are other ways to get. Money is not the biggest source of wealth, okay? Money is actually the least valuable kind of wealth you can build. It can be lost. It can be stolen. It can be diminished. It can be destroyed. It can be devalued at any time. And like we discussed in the, in the last show, if you win the lottery, you could end up poor. Oh, actually, most people who win the lottery end up with their lives destroyed worse than they were before. Yep. And Matt is over there nodding his head. He, he, because he, they don't know how to use it. Right. 
they don't understand what money really is because money actually represents only two things. It's the amount of trust that I've earned that I can deliver a given result to you and the amount of commitment that you have to getting that result. A dentist may be a world-renowned dentist. They may be certified out the hilt. They may be the most fabulous dentist with a great personality and bedside manner you've ever met. But if you don't have a root canal, I guarantee you're not committed to getting one. You're not going to pay them money. Unless you hurt. get what you don't want. (laughs) Now, if you have that tooth pain, right, if you have an abscessed tooth, you're going to want him to provide you that service, and you're going to be willing to commit your money to getting the result that you know he can deliver. And I'm willing to pay more because I'm, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> and you'll pay. You'll pay, and you'll pay happily because you know the value of being without pain. The greatest difference between the rich and the poor isn't in their bank account. It's that the rich know the things that they have that are of value. They know what those things are worth. They know how to package and present them to the people around them so that other people can see that worth. The poor don't know what they have. They've got loads of wisdom inside of them. They just don't know that it's there, and they don't know what it's worth. You know, it's interesting uh, that you you would mention it that way because – Everybody that I know, when they're in their 20s and they, they don't know how much, they don't know what they're worth, how much they can make. And so there's kind of a progression that you very rarely ever go backwards from when you start getting, you start making a little bit more money, then you make a little bit more money, then you make a little bit. You never, very rarely do you go backwards because you now understand and you believe how much money you can make. Right. Once you've seen it, you know what you're worth. Or you know, to a certain extent, what you can be worth, right? Because no amount of money that somebody can pay you is ever going to be what you're worth. You're actually worth way more than there is money in the world. See, Matthew, I keep telling you that. You're worth way more than you think you are, (laughs) damn it. (laughs) I mean, every person is. Honestly, every person has solved at least 10,000 problems in their lifetime, who's lived to age 20, we'll say, has solved at least 10,000 problems in their lifetime. And if you could turn on a tap for every single one of the problems they've solved and start making money out of it, well, sky's the limit, right? Well, most of us don't believe we're worth it. it. Well, that's exactly it. Most of us believe we're only worth what's in our bank account. And that's a huge mistake. We're grossly undervaluing our value. You know, it, it, what's interesting about that, and just another real quick story, when I was doing uh, the, this radio show 16 years ago called Positive Talk, and uh, it was the last show because financially it hadn't worked out all that well, and I did not recognize, I did not realize, it, I had gone all that time, I'd been on two hours a day, five days a week for 10 months, I went all that time and did not recognize or realize the impact I was having on people I'd never met. Mm-hmm. Until that show. Well, that, that is actually true about most of us. Most of us believe that we're not leaders, like that you have to be an elected official to be a leader or that you have to have an important title to be a leader. Um, and that's not actually leadership. Well, real leadership is service and example. Real leadership is lived, not taught. That's just beautiful. What you do not say that matters. 
By the way, we're talking with Brandy M. Miller, and by the way, this podcast is going to be up on my Independence Report here probably this afternoon, maybe tomorrow. And you need to listen to this if you if you missed any part of this. This is this is good stuff you've got going here, young lady. Thank you. I appreciate that. Somebody it, once told me that you know he had spent twenty five years attending conferences all over the United States. He said, and one hour with you is worth more than all the money I spent on those. I'm like, you know, I kind of need to bottle that. And <laughs> <laughs> well, have you have you thought about putting together a program where you can put all of your thoughts together into one cohesive package and then and then do seminars? Yeah, I, I've been toying with that idea and working out how I would go about it. That's that's kind of where the stage that I'm at. It's in the melting pot of ideas of things to do. And this is actually the turning problems into profits. It's the first step of me doing that. Oh, that's great. Putting that out there and getting people thinking about their problems differently. Because every problem you face today can be solved by all the problems you solved yesterday. I need to be writing this down. Are you writing this down, Matt? Trying to. I, <laughs> I have to have it digest first, but I certainly get it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's awesome. So you, you... You're being prepared for the problems you're currently meeting. Every day you're being prepared for the problem of the future the problems you encountered today. Well, I agree with that. Oh, that's true. That, that, that's true. And all your experiences are a culmination of, of everything that, in my, in, in my humble opinion, it's because all of these things are, are you planned before you got here and, and you wanted to live and move forward and, and to experience all of these things so that you can attain something at the end but we don't know what that is yet until you get there but in the meantime you're learning and you're growing and you're developing yourself and it's all because that's what you want your soul wanted you to do that right well i definitely believe that there is a purpose for you long before you get here like you are the answer to prayers of the past the present and the future you are no accident i think dickens wrote a book about that didn't he Past, present, and future. Oh, that, that's a ghost of Christmas. Yeah, that would be yeah. that'd be uh, Scrooge. That'd yeah. be Scrooge. Is it was Christmas that Carol? Christmas, did Dickens write that? Yes, Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol. I'm Scrooge so main character. I'm so impressed with myself. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Literary trivia one hundred and one. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. I used to joke that I was a storehouse of useless trivia because. I'll remember odd details that people are like, why do you even know that? Like, I don't know. I just, it, my brain picks it up and stores it. And then I access it at random moments. And I used to joke that there were two jobs that I was imminently qualified for, but unfortunately they were always taken when I got there. Um, the first one was storehouse of useless trivia. And the second one was, you know, resident smart mouth. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see you being a resident you know, smart mouth. It's a difficult job because nobody ever has an opening. Somebody else has already <laughs> taken the position when I get there. Um, <clears throat> but then I realized that my storehouse of useless trivia, it wasn't useless. It just hadn't been correct, connected to the right things. All the trivia, when it was connected properly, became innovation and inspiration. Absolutely. And, you know, we all have, when it comes to trivia and things that we remember, we all have special gifts. My son is amazing in that he can watch a movie and I can reference a line in the movie or a, mm -hmm. and 
I can kind of get it sort of close. He can he can do it verbatim just like he had just seen the movie and it may have been 10 or 15 years since he saw the movie. And it's, Is he high-functioning autistic? <laughs> I don't think so. He is, but this, that is, it's just a wonderful gift that he has. Of being well, a, my husband and um, has, uh, if I, I haven't, he hasn't been formally diagnosed, but by all indicators, I would say he probably has Asperger's. And that is one of the traits that they can pull those lines out of thin air and remember them. And it doesn't matter how long ago they saw it. Just like grab it out of the air. That's pretty amazing. I'll have to ask him about that next time I see him. Matt. You said that I've been accused of that. I could get things out of thin air. That word Asperger's come up. And then I've had counselors say, well, you can't be that for these reasons. And then other people come back, well, you kind of are a dead ringer for these reasons. You get caught in the middle when you have a lot of trivia. I suppose. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but there are certain other personality traits that lend themselves to it versus, you know, for instance, my husband's a pretty extreme introvert. He's uh, maybe a handful of people that he's close to. And then the rest of the world can just bugger off. <laughs> so, so I am just curious as, as to what goes on at your dinner table because you you are an extrovert and uh, are are really. I'm actually an introverted extrovert. I'm sorry. I function well in social settings. In other words, I enjoy being around people, but I need time away from people to recharge. That makes sense. That makes I do too. I do too. Which my mother is a pure extrovert and she would go nuts if you put her away from people for any length of time. Isn't that interesting? Cause so there's, she it, couldn't do solitary confinement for even a couple of hours. <laughs> we go crazy. Well, my dad used to throw me in my room a lot. So I got used to being in, you know. Well, my husband room. grew up in his room a lot. Actually, his parents pretty well left him to his own devices and most of the time he spent in his room. Oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? By the way, so ladies and gentlemen. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm just, I was just going to say, because I want everybody to know who you are. This is Brandy M. Miller, and she's got a, the current book she's got out is Turning Problems into Profits, and I hope that you'll go and do that. First of all, what's your website again, my friend? It's theopportunityprospector.com. TheOpportunityProspector.com. By the way, I just wanted to thank you. You know, we I reached out to you to do this interview, and we we didn't make connections for a while and stuff. I have had the best time talking with you this afternoon. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I try to bring joy and hope and a little bit of love everywhere I go. Well, you're. I think if you can give those people around you a little bit of all three of each, you will <laughs> never lack for what you truly need in life you're also fun don't forget that part <laughs> well that that comes with the joy <clears throat> you you just can you just go up and down the street sprinkling sprinkling fairy dust all over people <laughs> uh, yeah sometimes <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> that, that, i can imagine myself buying a pouch and carrying around fairy dust <laughs> i do own a unicorn there you I are sparkles <laughs> see i knew that well actually um i was in walmart with my husband we were shopping i was preparing to go to the trip to london and it was a few days before valentine's day and 
we were looking at the toys because my son is expecting a uh, a child in April, and uh, it's his first baby. Congratulations! So we were we were thank you, and we were looking around at the toys, and my husband sees the unicorn, and he pulls it out, and it's this giant thing. It's like half of my size. I'm five feet even, so you can imagine how big this thing is. Yeah, and it's like it's so soft and it's so cute. I'm like, oh, I love it, and he's like. It's like it's probably forty five dollars. So we look at the price tag; it's only fifteen dollars. I'm like, oh, but I have a trip to go on. I really shouldn't do this. He's like, put it in the cart. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I put it in the cart and I checked out. You know, though, we do that with our dreams all the time. Instead of putting them in the cart in life and checking out, put them back in the bin, and we say, I can't afford. This. I can't do this. This isn't a good time. Ain't that I think time. people should check out with their dreams. You know, just put the thing in the shopping cart and do what it takes. Check out. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, this this podcast has taken on a life of its own because uh, um, I was, see, for the longest time, I did 80 episodes with a microphone and a computer in my bedroom. And I had mm-hmm. old shows that I put together and stuff, and I would talk to people on the phone as well. But now I've taken the next step to be able to do this live and to, uh, um, so I had to buy some equipment and, and mm-hmm. I fell recently. And so I'm out of work currently. I'm not working right now. And so, you know, it was like, I can't afford not to buy it. <laughs> so I, yeah, snuck, exactly. I snuck in the not, I, I can't afford not to buy this equipment and to get going with it. And so that's exactly but so often we allow money to be the reason why we didn't instead of asking ourselves, is there a way that I can do this? Is there any way I can do this? If I can do this, let's do this. Yes. And then it becomes, it, it, it can become a huge part of who you are and part of your life. So Right. Well, I, I wouldn't get to have, have the award-winning international speaker title if I hadn't paid $1,200 to go on the trip to London, right? I mean, that's $1,200 I really didn't have to spend, but it was an investment. And I met so many amazing people while I was there. You know, I got invited to Nigeria to speak. I got, you know, opportunities to meet uh, Dr. Corey Hicks, who's a former Olympic athlete, which I never would have met. I met the ambassador of happiness, Morris Wayne. I mean, you know, I met a lot of really awesome people while I was out there, and none of that would have happened if I hadn't taken the leap of faith and invested in my dreams. You know, it's interesting that you should say that because, um, and I'll, I'll do it. Can I do a shameless plug? Absolutely. Shameless uh, plug away. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that because one of, I, there was a guy that I um, watched on TV years ago. He had a, had a show called Crossing Over. And uh, and he's a psychic I, medium. I remember the title of the show, but I don't think I ever watched it. He he's a psychic medium, and and he was really talented at being able to talk to the other side, and and I loved his philosophy, and I absolutely loved the guy, and I said, you know, one of these days I would love to meet him, and uh, so once I made the decision, I believe this is how the universe works. Once I made the decision to buy the piece of equipment I needed to do the podcast on the air, to, to get ready to do it live. And then I get this email on last Monday from the publicist of this guy by the name of John Edward. 
he's doing a national tour. Would I consider having him on my show? I fell out of my chair, <laughs> had to get up out of my chair. And then I had to read the thing again because I didn't believe it was real. And so I emailed him back. And so he's going to be on my podcast next Tuesday, March 10th. This is John Edward, the world famous, not as famous as you, Brandy, but a world famous psychic <laughs> medium. And he and it is that quite literally was on my bucket list. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing. Um, when I was 27 years old, I had this list of 100 things I wanted to do before I died. And I was really miserable, though. I wasn't doing any of those things. I wasn't making, as far as I could tell, I wasn't making any progress in life. And I was just so unhappy. I went out the door <clears throat> and uh, went on a walk, and, and I heard this voice tell me five years make them count and I knew what it meant I knew that I'd been basically given by the higher-ups a five-year sentence now you may be good at math and you may figure out that you know there's a few years past five that I've made it but <laughs> that voice caused me to go home pair up the list of a hundred things that I wanted to do before I died and write a list of five things that actually mattered yeah. and you know I began living with greater intention toward things that actually mattered. And I can say with all honesty, five years to the day after that voice, I actually was hit by a car. <clears throat> I ended up walking away with scratches on my hands and using nothing more. And I also knew that at that point in life, God was telling me, hey, look, your life is a lease program, not an ownership program. I lease to you. You don't own it. And I can take it back at any time. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll get it together. I got it. I got it. And I did. So at, at that age, 32, is when I really began working on serving other people and, and to change my life, to become a more grateful person, um, to become a more joyful person. It, that is the key. Gratitude and service are the keys to finding joy. Oh, I agree. When, you know, when you want to feel good, but I guess my point, bringing it back to you and your dream fulfillment, is that looking back in serving other people, I have probably checked off most of the things that I wanted to do that I was making absolutely zero progress on focusing only on myself. But now you've got more things you want to do. <laughs> Well, yeah, now I want to change the world. <laughs> I'm probably way more ambitious than I was at 15. <laughs> and you know what? You will change because the world. truthfully, I realized that it only takes changing the course of one life in order to change the course of the entire course of human history. One life, that's all it takes. For good or for bad. You're right. And when you put it into those terms... It's easy. Yeah, it is. It's as easy as being kind to somebody when you'd rather be curt with them. You know, um, in my in my day job, when I'm when I'm working, I'm a bus driver, and I, I work for the city bus uh, system here in Seattle. And mm -hmm. it is really, really difficult at times to be nice to everybody who comes on the bus. But I try really hard because. You might be the only person that says hello with a smile to them all day. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you a story about a smile. 
okay, and the impact it can have. I was 23-ish, and I had my son in the shopping cart. I was in Walmart, and this lady comes up to me. She's an older lady, and I have no idea who she is. And she goes, you, you are that little girl. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what did I do now? (laughs) She goes, I remembered you. You came through my lunch line every day when you were at Jennings Elementary, and that's the elementary school I went to when I was little. You always had a smile for me, and it made my day. And I thought, wow. I hadn't been to that elementary school in 15 years. And she remembered. The impact, the positive and or negative impact that we can have on other people in the world around us is unbelievable. We just don't realize how powerful we are. It's not that we lack power or that we need to be empowered. It's that we need to be reminded that we are powerful and to be careful how we use that power. Absolutely. Hey, would you like to take a call? I would love to. All righty. Let's, let's take a call right now. And hello, caller. How are you? Do you have some input for our discussion? Oh, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I got to hit the right button. Okay. Are you, are you, are, where are you? Where'd you go? Are you, you're, you're there. You're, you're online. Let's see. Uh, where, no, you should be there. Hello. Hello, caller. Go ahead and say, say, say hello. Did you say No. Um... Are you there, caller? Ah, uh, hello. Technical difficulties. Well, it, uh, <clears throat> she's 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 there. Oh, let me double check and see. Uh, disconnect. No, no, no. She's connected to us. Woodsink, Woodsink, are you connected to us? Where are you? You're not. Is there a volume issue? Uh, new. No, there shouldn't be. Okay. Uh, I actually do think I'm, I think I know what I'm doing. I'm <laughs> um, sure you probably know more than I do. But. So let me, let me, uh, um, let's, let's see. So now it's, it's, are you, uh, what sink are you there? Well, for some reason she's not answering. So I'm going to disconnect that. Cause so go ahead and call back. If you would like to, please. So we would love to hear from you. We would. We would indeed love to hear from you. You know, as we've been sitting here talking, we've had forty-one people. Oh, hold on. Oh, okay. Now we're gonna try this again and see if it's me or. Um, <clears throat> hello, baby blue. Is it me or is it you or who is it? Are you on there? Yes. Oh, see, there you are. It wasn't me. Ha ha. <laughs> So go ahead. Do you have a comment or a question? Yes. What is the most common expo we leave? What is the common what? Neck pain relief. Oh, common neck pain relief? Are you saying that I'm a pain in the neck? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I'm talking about my aching neck. Oh, you have oh. A, you have an achy neck. I'm so sorry. 
Well, sometimes I find that heating pads work on the back of the neck. Not always, but sometimes. Okay, thank you, guys. Have a good night. You take care you of too. yourself. Thank you. and I hope Thanks you, for calling. Yeah, I hope you feel better. Yes. And, okay. <laughs> See, you just never know who you're going to run into at any given moment. <laughs> no, you don't. You never know. It's it's kind of kind of cool that way. This little format we got going here. So so that's that's good. Sure. So uh, um, it's you know here's here's the thing. I could talk to you all night long, but it is now time for you to go have dinner. I think. Probably. I don't know. I have to look. <laughs> it's five. It's five twenty your time. So um, Matt, yeah, just about. Matt, have you any anything the Matt that you'd like to add? Brandy, I greatly appreciate how you are willing to hold somebody's hand and help them go various directions, and one of which is to write a book, because so many people, I think at least more than half of us, vow to do that one day. It's in our bucket list, and they could contact you for various things, and also a, oh, motiv a motivational speaker. I love that, because that's what we had here with you. Pleasure to meet you. Pleasure. Such a pleasure to meet you both, and thank you for having me on your show. It was really an honor and a privilege. Well, hold on just a second, because Woodsink has come back. Let's see if I can figure out if I if it was me or if it was her. Can you want to take one more call before you go? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's. Can, hello, Woodsink. How are you? Oh, she went offline suddenly. It's like she's teasing me. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Good things come to those who wait, I guess. I guess so. So, um, in, in any event, you, you, we've been talking again with Brandy M. Miller. Would you consent to being a regular for me on my show? Oh, absolutely. I would love to. She, you are dynamic and you are really special and I'm going to hook you up with, we've got a gal by the name of Lisa who's coming tomorrow and that is, uh, um, 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 our girl day and, and we're going to hook you guys up and we're going to have some fun. So, oh, that would be fun for sure. I mean, actually I really do want to talk to her for one thing. <laughs> I'm helping a lady with a fashion magazine, which if you knew me as a hoot in itself, but, uh, <laughs> A fashion man. Well, that, I think that would be awesome. That would. It's geared toward women who aren't really living their full leadership potential, and the idea is to help them understand that real leaders don't follow trends; they set them. So to stop following what everybody else wants them to do and start doing the thing that is meaningful to them. Follow your heart. Mm-hmm. There's an old saying that I have that was about, and my son who's listening is going to, is going to throw out the uh, podcast now, but there's a, there's an <laughs> old, old saying that said, your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. <laughs> if we all, yeah. did, if we all did that, we would be much better off. I would think. Well, you have to be careful with your heart though, because if it's been lying too often enough, it's forgotten how to be true. Have you thought about writing a book of quotes? <laughs> yeah, actually, I've thought about calling it a little taste of brandy. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay, next next time next time you're on the show, you are going to have to uh, uh, give us some some more a little taste of brandy. I love that. That's wonderful. That's well, I, I joke that you know brandy is best in small doses, which is why God made me short. <laughs> 
Exactly. Well, I'm I'm short too. That's okay. You're you're allowed to be short. No, I'm not short. I'm vertically challenged. Exactly. Exactly. And melanin impaired. But you are a mental giant. (laughs) Thank you. Brandy, I'm gonna I'm gonna let let you go, and you have yourself a great a great day. And thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to continuing to work with you. I'm looking forward to that, too. It'll be great fun. It'll be great fun. Matt, any last words for Brandy? Just one more time. Greatly appreciate you, and I can't wait till our next visit. Absolutely. You guys have a great evening, Kevin and Matt. It has been awesome. You have a great night, too. And don't forget, this is going to be turned into a podcast, so you can go to myindependentreport.podbean.com, and you can download it from there as well. And this will become one of the favorite episodes, I can tell you right now. (laughs) Oh, believe me, I will be helping to spread the word about your podcast. I appreciate it. And, and other, other interesting, uh, gloriously wonderful people like yourself would be great if you invited them along. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I can connect you with a bunch of people. Cool. <laughs> so thank you so <laughs> I much. I mean, who wouldn't want to meet Maura Sweeney, the ambassador of happiness? Exactly. That, <laughs> that would be great fun. So you, you take care of yourself and be, and you be well. Thank you. Have a great evening. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Well, Matt, that was fun. What did you think of that, that, that interview? Oh, my gosh. We're two for two today. Uh, Andrew was fantastic. Brandy, just you're batting a 1,000 right now. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was re- really good. And on this particular podcast, we had 43 people check in with us. We're growing. Yeah, so we're, we're growing. And we didn't even, nobody even knew that we were coming. So that's, that's great fun. So, so with that, I, I, you know, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here all day long. It's a long day for you. I get that. Um, so, but it's been great fun having you here, Matt. And by the way, Matt is an author of eight books. If somebody wants to go and, uh, and look at your books, how do they do that? It is at mattsheabooks.com, S-H-E-A-W-W-W, mattsheabooks.com. And from there, it takes you to my site with a lot of free stuff, takes you to Amazon, takes you to one of my other publishers. And a book I have called The Meadowdale Community Project, it's hand-in-hand with the show we had today about resurrecting people and giving them a lift and getting them back into society. So just a thought, and you feel free to write me. I love to write people back. We're looking forward to that. That's great. And thank thank you, Matt. Again, in case they were fumbling for a pen, your website again. It is Matt Shea, S-H-E-A, MattSheaBooks.com. Look forward to hearing from you. And tomorrow, we at noon, we're going to have girl power. So I hope that you'll come back and and, and share that with us. Um, you know, it's been a great day. And I hope everybody's had as much fun as I have today because I've had a great time. So I, with that, we're going to let you go. And you have a great night, everybody. And we'll see you soon. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.